As Jacob said, we are doing things a little differently this morning. As we change the schedule, why not change it up within the service a little bit too? Um, we do have uh, some sermon notes for kids. If you didn't see those on the way in, if you want to go grab those out on the table as you came in, there were some of those. I guess if there's some extras, if the big kids want them too, then you can help yourself to those. But this morning, we are going to kind of be looking into three different passages. I think you'll see why we've kind of done things the way we have as we go. But today's service marks the end of our Advent series. Uh, but part of the reason for the repetition of Advent season year after year after year is because we perpetually find ourselves in a season of Advent or awaiting the return of the risen Christ. And so what we've done over the last several weeks leading up to Christmas Eve a couple nights ago is look at four instances surrounding the birth of Jesus where angelic messengers appeared to announce the coming of Christ with a similar message each time, fear not. And we had Sean and Jacob and Micah who led us through those passages. Thankfully, the angels told Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds not to be afraid because the coming of Christ was bringing hope and joy and love and peace into our broken world. But What I want us to see today is that fear not wasn't just the theme for the beginning of Jesus's life, and it isn't just a message for the beginning of your life with Jesus, or only for those days leading up to Christmas. Fear not wasn't just the message of the angels. Fear not is the message of Jesus himself. And so it's a refrain we should hear often throughout our lives. And so what we're going to do this morning is kind of a little bit like a magic school bus style adventure where we're going to drop into the story of Jesus at three different points in his life where his message to the disciples and to us is fear not or be not afraid. And the first one is in John chapter 6 if you want to turn there. And let me just ask you this as you do that this morning. What is your biggest fear? So you think about that, my guess is that those answers span quite a range for us this morning, depending on our age, our stage of life, our experiences, the things we've gone through. Some might say you're most afraid of the dark. Others might say snakes, anybody? Anybody with snakes or mice or bugs? Maybe those kind of go together. Maybe you're afraid of storms or sickness or death, or maybe your fears are more financially or economically or politically driven, whatever your biggest fear is, my next question then is this, how does Jesus confront our fear? John 6 takes us to the day where Jesus had taken the lunch of one boy and miraculously multiplied it to feed what could have been as many as 20,000 people. And the crowd rightly recognized that Jesus was different and they wanted to make him king. And so Jesus, we're told then, withdrew to the mountain by himself, which if some of us were honest this morning might be our greatest fear, silence and solitude. But Jesus was on the mountain And while he was on the mountain praying, evening came, and John tells the story beginning in verse 16 of John chapter 6. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The disciples had every reason to be afraid. I don't even personally like driving at night when it's raining. 
I can't imagine the fear of being on this boat in the middle of this storm with the waves crashing all around them, the wind blowing. It's pretty easy for us to understand this morning why the disciples were frightened. The next question, though, then is how does Jesus confront their fear? And in this case, he doesn't do it with a big speech or anything like that. It's just a simple announcement as he's walking to them on the water. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. And the second part of that sentence is the application of the first, because Jesus was there with them. The disciples had nothing to fear. We're told that the disciples gladly took Jesus into the boat and found themselves immediately safely at their destination. And so I wonder this morning, as we look at this story, if Jesus' approach to our fear isn't a little bit like a parent or grandparent responding to the fear that strikes us as kids after a bad dream or a strange noise or some other fear that awakens us or keeps us awake at night. That response as they enter the room, stay with us until we're asleep and say, it's okay, I'm here, don't be afraid. John found it important to point out in verse 17 that Jesus had not yet come to them. And this is when it's before it's even started storming, before they realized that everything was going to be okay. But by the end of the story, the emphasis that we see, the biggest thing that has changed is just that, that Jesus had shown up. When we're afraid, what we often need most is the presence of someone we love and someone who loves us, someone who we know can get us through whatever it is that lies ahead, or someone at the very least who will be with us through whatever lies ahead. And that's what Jesus does when we are afraid. He comes and he stays with us until the storm has passed. And so this morning, whatever it is that stirs our fears today or in the days to come, let's remember that we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has come. Before we make our next stop in a moment in John 14, we're going to spend some moments here in prayer together as we sing a couple songs together. You can remain seated as we sing these, but as we sing them with a heart of prayer, asking God to draw near to us in Jesus. This first song says simply that, be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to, to stay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that as we gather in this place, as, as your people, as we continue to celebrate as we have been, Lord, that you are a God who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that in moments when we might be afraid, whatever it is that, that scares us or that shakes us or fills us with fear, God, that you are a God who promises to be near to your people, who never leaves us or forsakes us, a God who has come to us in Jesus and a God who stays with us through the storm. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would help us to sit for these moments in that presence. Help us to, to know in this moment and in days ahead as fears might stir within us that you are a God who has come near to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it was about a year later, eight chapters later, if you're following along in your copy of God's Word, John chapter 14, and Jesus once again preparing to observe the feast of the Passover with his disciples, but this time was different because Jesus knew that the time was coming when he would leave this world to be with his Father in heaven. He knew what was coming, and in that moment, he thought it most important that he take the time to wash his disciples' feet as an example of how they should love and serve one another. 
Then we're told Jesus was at that moment, though, troubled in his spirit, and he began to speak about one who would betray him, and then he began to speak to his disciples of his impending departure, saying, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter's question is logical at that point. Lord, where are you going? To that, Jesus offers a little more information, although still not a lot, saying, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And then he began to tell them, though, about this place that he was going to prepare for those who know him and trust him and are following him. And so if we just put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a moment again, you've left everything behind to follow Jesus. You've seen him miraculously feed thousands, heal diseases, cast out demons, and calm storms. And now you hear him saying to you, it's time for me to leave you. And so uncertainty, anxiety, fear, those seem like reasonable responses. Have we gone through all this together only for Jesus to leave us now? We can imagine a little bit of what they were feeling. We've had people in our lives, friends or maybe family even, who we thought were there forever, but then one day they weren't. It's a grief that is far too familiar in this world. And perhaps the disciples would have felt like they were going to be left alone, that they would be abandoned without anywhere to call home, which is why Jesus says what he does beginning in John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so into our fears of abandonment or belonging or loneliness, Jesus announces clearly that he, though he would be physically departing, he would not leave those who loved him and followed him. He would send a helper to be with them forever. He would not leave them as orphans, but he would come to them. And he would continue in verse 25 to talk more about this helper that he'd already introduced, this spirit of truth. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. It wouldn't be long after he said those words that Jesus would die on the cross and then three days later would rise from the dead. And it wouldn't be long after that that Jesus would ascend into heaven to be with his Father just as he said he would. And it wouldn't be much longer after that when the Spirit came to dwell within those who love, trust, and follow Jesus. 
This morning, if that describes you, if you are one who is following Jesus and the spirit Jesus spoke about in John 14 dwells within you. And so Jesus hasn't left you to figure it out on your own. He's not abandoned you. He doesn't leave you by yourself. The spirit has come and the spirit brings to our minds in moments when we need him what Jesus said to us. He brings to our heart the peace that Jesus gives. And so Christian Do not be afraid. Following Jesus is not a call to go it alone. It's not about following whatever your heart wants or going your own way. Following Jesus is about walking in step with the Spirit, the Spirit of God who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so this morning I'd ask you, where is your heart troubled? And what is the Spirit doing in you to produce more love, more joy, more kindness, more patience, and then will you walk that path with him? A path that walks in freedom, a path that walks in boldness to share the good news that Jesus has come. And so we need not be afraid. We can build our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. The Spirit has come, and so we have no reason to fear. We have good news to share, and that's good news we're going to sing about right now. And so would you stand? And would you join us as we sing together, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. A few decades after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, as well as the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the followers of Jesus found themselves once again in a precarious position, or to put it more accurately, continued to find themselves in a precarious position with the way of Jesus cutting against the grain of the Roman Empire and those in power pressuring Christians to conform to the ways of the world. And that way, it sounds a lot like the challenges believers faced in the book of Acts and a lot like the position in which Christians have found themselves in for the last 2,000 years. And so as we've seen in John 6 and John 14, Jesus' primary strategy for confronting our fear isn't first to reason with this, although there is a place for that, but Jesus First strategy is always his presence. And so we fear not because Jesus has come. We fear not because the Spirit has come. In Revelation 1, John sets the scene for us here once again. He tells us it was Sunday and he was in the Spirit. He was keenly aware of the presence of God with him there on the island of Patmos, on which he had been exiled because of his faithful preaching of God's word and his testimony about Jesus. And so John wasn't writing as someone who advanced beyond the tribulation and suffering that comes with following Jesus, but he was writing as someone who knew hardship all too well. And that's when John tells us that he heard a voice saying to write down what he heard and send it to the seven churches. And when John turned around to see where that voice was coming from, he saw seven golden lapstands, and in the middle of them, we're told in Revelation 1 verse 13, was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like, wool, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength." The Son of Man is a title Jesus would often use for himself in the Gospels. And John's description here paints this picture of one who has unmatched glory, wisdom, knowledge, and authority. 
John was in this moment overwhelmed by the one that he saw, and he fell at the feet of the Son of Man. And that is when Jesus, we're told, in this moment of tenderness, lays his right hand on John and says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. To John in exile and to churches facing persecution, Jesus identified himself as the first and the last, the one who was eternal before all things existed and the one who would exist after all other gods have passed away. He is the living one, one who holds the keys of death in Hades because he's been through death and he lives forevermore. And so he can tell John and the churches and us not to fear even death because he's been through it and he has walked away victoriously. So to truly follow Jesus in this world will come with cost. Yes, you will encounter resistance. As Jesus said, you will have trouble. But victory over fear comes in knowing the one who is already defeated, the worst thing that this world can throw at you, death. And it comes in knowing that he is the one who has defeated death says to you, I am coming soon. And so this morning, as we started, I ask you, what is your biggest fear? Whatever it is today, Jesus says that we don't have to live under fear's reign because he has come. The Spirit has come, and Jesus is coming again. None of those, none of those are reasons for fear. They're reasons for faith. You can trust Jesus to be there for you when you need him, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you face in the days ahead, in the year ahead. And so this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then today... Make that decision to trust him and to follow him. And Christian, if you are fearful today or anxious or worried, cry out to Jesus who cares for you deeply. Ask him to be near to you and to lead you more deeply into the hope, love, joy, and peace that we've looked at over this Advent season. Those are things he promises to bring when he comes again. And so what we've kind of done this morning a little bit is we've gone through each of these instances, these stories where we see Jesus saying to us, fear not, is we've taken a moment after each one to pause and to respond to what we see in the Word of God. But as is our pattern at the end of this service, we want to do what we normally do and take time to respond as well. And so you'll see ways on the screen that you can respond, but I'll be here in front if you need to talk to somebody this morning about trusting in Jesus and following Him about what it looks like for you to live a life that is free from fear and free from sin and guilt and free to follow Jesus. This altar will be open as well this morning if you need to come and you need to pray, if you need to bring your fears, your hopes before the Lord this morning and just lay your heart before him, this altar is open for you to do that. But we are going to sing this morning as we close in proclamation of how great our God is. This great hymn of the faith, how great thou art. And so would you stand this morning to your feet and we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond and please respond as God leads you this morning. As we close this morning, kind of wanna read from, not kind of, I'm gonna read from Psalm 27 as our, uh, kind of as our benediction this morning. Um, It just says there, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evil does assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let me dismiss this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that there's no one in this world whom we must fear, but that in all things, no matter what we face, we have a God who cares for us, a God who hears us, a God who has come to us. God, in the midst of all the busyness of recent weeks, God, help us to remember that that is what this Christmas season is about. It's about you coming in the person of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and to release us from our fears. And so, God, we pray today that you would help us to walk in courage and to walk in faith to walk in step with the Spirit as we go from this place, that you would show us the opportunities before us this week and in the months and year ahead to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. God, that we would be a people who follow after you, who trust you, and who find in you comfort in our fears and find in you, God, a place where we belong. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And for his glory, amen.